0: are listening to ascension sundays the occasional audio ministry of ascension lutheran church in chattanooga tennessee you can find us on the web at www.thisisthefeast.com that's www.thisisthefeast.com this is christ's church and there is a place for you here December 4th, 2016, Pastor Krim's sermon is entitled, Peace, the Freedom from Fear. It draws on the imagery of the prophet Isaiah, the poetry of Psalm 72, Paul's letter to the Romans, and the words of John the Baptist in the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, we talked about hope in the midst of darkness. This week, the tiny light of that initial candle has grown to two. Two candles might in many circumstances actually provide decent enough light to do something. Candlesticks, after all, usually come in pairs. Our single candle last week acknowledged the darkness. It proclaimed our need for hope. By the light of our second candle, perhaps we can see what we hope for. Like our single candle, Isaiah's image of a shoot coming from a stump isn't an end in itself. Old stumps sprouting shoots is a common enough occurrence. Very rarely do those shoots develop into new strong trunks for the tree that was cut down. Yet, like our second candle, this shoot becomes a branch. The stump is transformed into a tree once again. That isn't all. Isaiah's tree, a metaphor for a new king, after all, it sprouted from the stump of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. Israel's most revered king stands in the midst of a world as fascinating as it is improbable. Predators and prey have become friends, carnivorous animals have become vegetarians, babies play with venomous snakes, and small children are leaders. This world is our world. We live in a world with lions, lambs, cows, bears, children, and snakes. We know these things both literally and metaphorically. This is our world, but our world turned upside down. This is a lion-eat-straw world. A common phrase often describes our reality as dog-eat-dog. Materially, this is our world, but intentionally, it is our world turned upside down. Isaiah speaks of a reality where there is neither hurt nor destruction, we live in a reality where the air of our own backyards is filled with smoke. We live in a world where a neighboring town has been destroyed by fire. We live in a world where six families faced Thanksgiving and will now face Christmas with permanently empty seats at their tables. And yet all of this is just within two hours drive of where we sit. We can find scores of other instances of hurt and destruction, both close to home and by truly looking worldwide. Wouldn't it be nice, though? Wouldn't a world where the Palestinian and the Israeli sat down at dinner together be better than the one we live in? Wouldn't it be nice if white supremacists and Black Lives Matter protesters could just acknowledge each other and be acknowledged, love each other and be loved, as unique children of God? Wouldn't it be nice if fires threaten nothing more than marshmallows? Wouldn't it be nice if the only use for knives on the Ohio State University campus was in the dining hall and the biology lab? Wouldn't it be nice if the simple sense of right and wrong we were given as children and that we pass on to our children were enough for our leaders? We've acknowledged our need for hope Now surely Isaiah has shown us what we hope for. We would all prefer this to our world. We would prefer Isaiah's prophetic vision, even if just for the novelty of it. The root of Isaiah's vision is a concept of justice. Justice is a concept we've lost some touch with in modern speech. It conjures up images of courts and police officers. Judges of the higher courts in our country are called justices. Prosecutors work for the Justice Department, and police officers increasingly get college degrees in criminal justice. However, these aren't really examples of justice. They're actually evidence of injustice. Courts and peace officers are needed to restore justice and peace where it has been broken. But like all repairs, they are imperfect. The repair of injustice by courts will never fully restore the wholeness of the justice that was broken. Peace reigns in Isaiah's vision because the wolf, the lion, the leopard, and the bear do not gain their sustenance at the expense of the lamb, the kid, the calf, and the cow. The children play with the asp and the adder because neither has a reason to see the other as a threat. Nobody's fortune is dependent on anyone else's misfortune. Nobody has any reason to expect that the other would seek to hurt them. This is justice, and it doesn't exist on any large scale in our world today. Today we sang one of the Psalms many pleas to God for a ruler to establish justice. Isaiah's vision of the world has been taken by Christians to be a vision of a world led by Christ. Yet Paul must, even in early Christianity, remind Jewish and Gentile Christians to seek unity rather than division. He must tell them not to fear losing their identity to the other. He must remind them of their equality. I will not be so bold as to speculate whether after 2,000 years of Christian history we are closer to or further from Isaiah's vision. I seriously doubt that it has been a completely linear progression in either direction and certainly not at all places and all times. What I can say with certainty is that we are not there yet. The truth is that we're not there because every one of us benefits from some form of injustice. Those may be hard words to hear, but they're true. I could list some of the more common ones that touch most of our lives. I won't do that this morning, though, because these lists inevitably provoke the same response. We get defensive. Confronted by our own complicity and injustice, we will call attention to the injustices of which we are victims. We will call attention to the injustices committed by those to whom we are unjust. We may point out that the injustices from which we benefit are structural. We don't create them or seek them out. They're just there. You know what? Every single statement we give in our defense is true. But matters of justice aren't like arithmetic. The injustices we commit are not rendered just because of the injustices we are victim to. To borrow pieces of Isaiah's metaphor, a goat eaten by a leopard isn't restored to life because the leopard is in turn eaten by a lion. Advent is a penitential season. Many of you may remember that not long ago, Advent and Lent were both seasons where purple adorned the altar. Everybody seems to agree that churches started switching to blue in the mid-80s, but nobody seems to agree why. In Advent, just as in Lent, we must look at ourselves. We've acknowledged the darkness around us. We've seen a vision for the future that gives us hope for the world around us, but now we must acknowledge the darkness within ourselves. It is possible to strain Isaiah's image a little too far. Animals, after all, are animals. They don't have the capacity to sin, and they cannot truly be agents of injustice, though humans may unjustly use them as tools. However, at the risk of straining the metaphor too far, the lion doesn't refrain from eating smaller animals, the kid or the goat, for one simple reason the lion is afraid to starve. We are complicit in injustice, largely because we are afraid not to be. We are afraid to go without whatever benefit it is we seek. Every year around this time, I'm afraid. John the Baptist scares me. He preaches to people by calling them names. You brood of vipers. He calls their comforting assumptions into question. We have Abraham as our ancestor. His sermons aren't comfortable. Is this the biblical example of preaching? What will my congregation think if I preach like that? What will God think if I don't? Perhaps my fear creates a situation in which one of the injustices from which we benefit is one where I perpetrate an injustice against the fullness of the gospel. John isn't so bold because he knows something special about the people in front of him that day. It would be easy to preach if that were the case. John is that bold because everyone needs to be confronted with an uncomfortable truth sometimes. John is that bold because everyone has comforting myths that need to be called into question. John is that bold because everyone needs to be called to repentance. I said earlier that Isaiah's vision was our world turned upside down. To repent is to literally turn around. We live in fear because we accept the reality of our world in which there is much to be afraid of. Fear brings out aggression. Fear brings out defensiveness. Fear brings out injustice. Fear brings conflict. The good news of the gospel is that our scary world isn't the only reality. Isaiah's vision isn't of a heaven which we go to when we die. Sometimes we think that that's the goal of Christianity. It is a vision of our world turned around. It is a vision of a world of justice, where fear is replaced by joy. It is a vision of a world where conflict is gone and peace reigns. Advent is a season of looking ahead. To repent is to reorient. John the Baptist doesn't call us to shed tears of sorrow. He calls us to turn from living out of fear of the world as it is to living in hope of the world as it is to be. John calls us to experience peace that isn't just the calm between troubles, but peace that is the freedom from fear.